What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Martian MMA Podcast. I am your host, and my name is John, and this week we are back with episode 78, where we will be analyzing and predicting the UFC 243 pay-per-view headlined by the UFC middleweight championship unifying bout between Robert Whitaker and Israel Adesanya. This pay-per-view will go down this Saturday, October 5th, 2019, starting at 6.45 p.m. Eastern Time. There will be two prelims on UFC Fight Pass and ESPN Plus starting at 6.45, with four prelims starting on ESPN 2 at 8 p.m., and then moving on to the main card pay-per-view portion on ESPN Plus at 10 p.m. with five fights. So only an 11-fight card for this pay-per-view. We did have one fight canceled uh, between Holly Holm and Raquel Pennington pretty recently. So they're continuing with just 11 fights, and it's trending to be one of the biggest events in UFC history, certainly one of the biggest in uh, Anzac history, you know, with that uh, Australian fighter taking on the New Zealand fighter. Actually, they're both New Zealand fighters, uh, but they both spend a lot of time in Australia. It should be a monumental fight over there. I think they're expecting around 50,000 people to come in attendance, maybe even more than that, possibly breaking the record for the most amount of people at a UFC event in history. And they did that back at UFC 193 in Australia too. So the Australian fight fans uh, come out for the UFC, and that's why they're putting on this big-time fight. It's a really an incredible fight. I can't wait to break it down later, but... As always, we will start things off at the bottom of the card. We have 11 fights to preview, so we'll start things off in the Bantamweight division where we have Khalid Taha, who is 13-3, taking on Bruno Silva, who is 11-3-1. The opening line for this one was Khalid Taha, the favorite, at minus 265 to Bruno Silva at plus 185. Right now, we are seeing Taha minus 235, Silva plus 195, so... Not much action coming in on this fight, although there is two-way action coming in on both sides of these guys, and it's it's a real close fight. You have uh, Khalid Taha, who it has been in the UFC before. He's one and one in the UFC. His first fight was at featherweight. Uh, he is a natural bantamweight. He took on uh, Nad Nirmani in that fight, and was really just outmatched by the size and got outboxed, out-wrestled by Nirmani. It just proved that he was not ready for that featherweight division. And then he got back on track at Bantamweight when he knocked out uh, Boston Salmon in his last fight with a left hook in 30 seconds. It was just a massive punch, floored Salmon, and he followed it up with some ground and pound, got the early finish, so got back on track. Uh, I'd say Taha's got some pretty good boxing. That would definitely be his strong suit. He's taken on Bruno Silva in this fight, who is making his UFC debut. Uh, he trains with Cejudo out in Phoenix, and unfortunately, his last loss uh, was a, a seven-second head kick knockout loss. Just got knocked out cold in seven seconds, uh, but he's picked up some decent victories from uh, from then on. Not too much footage of, the, of uh, Silva online. Uh, seems like his, uh, his bread and butter would be the submission game but uh, he throws power on the feet as well. He was on the Ultimate Fighter. He picked up a nice victory in that fight. He actually landed a front kick on his opponent and broke his jaw five seconds into the fight. Just started fast, threw a massive front kick, and it broke the opponent's jaw right away. And that fight was stopped after the first round. So he has shown the ability to get offensive takedowns. He definitely shines in the submission game, and he's got some decent striking as well. So I agree with Taha being the favorite. He's got that UFC experience. He looks a little more well-rounded and polished, calculated in his approach to the fights, but 
I don't necessarily think that he should be this much of a favorite. I'd say that there is a little bit of value on the dog Silva in this one. He has not fought uh, very recently. I think he's coming off of a long layoff. So you could see Bruno Silva make some big improvements in this one. And I don't think that that 30-second knockout Taha got in his last fight is exactly uh, proof that he's a legitimate fighter. I'd still say that there's a lot up in the air about Taha that we have not seen. So uh, it's going to be a dog or pass situation. I think that eventually Taha does get the d decision victory, but it's definitely dog or pass at these uh, prices. The next fight takes place in the women's flyweight division. We have Nadia Kasim, who is 5-1, taking on Ji Yun Kim, who is 8-2-2. The opening betting line for this one was Kasim, the minus 140 favorite, to Ji Yun Kim, plus 100. Right now, we are seeing Kim minus 210, Kasim minus or excuse me, plus 175. So much more action coming in on Ji Yun Kim. She opened plus 100, implying her probability of winning is 50%. She now sits at minus 210, which implies her probability is over 67%. So there's a huge, huge shift that came in on Ji Yun Kim, a 17% difference in her implied probability from the time that she opened to where she's at now. So the sharp action came in on Kim heavy, and I think it's the right side of things. We're just looking at a relatively low-level female fight. Kasim has one victory in the UFC over Alex Chambers, but that was a bad victory. She lost the first round of that fight pretty decisively to Chambers. Chambers started to gas out in the, in the second two rounds, and Kasim was winning the rounds, but she, she wasn't winning them dominantly. She was getting taken down by a gassed out Chambers. She wasn't keeping position. She wasn't dominating uh, Chambers, and Chambers is an old fighter. She's a veteran who doesn't have much skill, not very athletic. She's like 40 years old or something like that, and Kasim didn't even look good against her when she was gassed out in the later rounds. So I really don't have much faith in Kasim. Her last fight was a complete mismatch. She got dominated by Montana De La Rosa. Uh, I was on De La Rosa pretty heavy in that fight for a, a max bet, and it, it cashed very easily. And it was just a very, I mean, even though De La Rosa was minus 250, she looked minus 900 in that fight. Um, so I just said that Kim has is the better overall fighter. She's shown some decent aspects of MMA throughout her career. She's uh, picked up a couple victories over decent opponents. She's shown glimpses of decent boxing. She throws a nice jab out. She was actually tied round one or one round apiece versus Justine Kish. She realized it was a close fight. She picked up the pace in round three, and she won a crucial last round and won her that decision. So I think she's just a more... Uh, well-rounded fighter she knows what it takes to win a close decision sometimes and her last fight was with Antonia Shev or Antonina Shevchenko she was completely outclassed in that fight in the kickboxing realm of things but she didn't get finished and Shevchenko actually has some decent finishing abilities so uh, that wasn't the worst performance from her I just think that Kim is the better overall well-rounded mixed martial artist and that's why you're seeing that huge action coming in on Kim I'm gonna agree with it where the line is at now it's definitely dog or pass don't get it twisted we're still still dealing with a pretty low level skill uh, women's mixed martial arts fight and anything could happen in those type of fights so I would not be laying over two to one I would not be laying anything over minus 150 on Kim personally not saying there's quite value on Kasim either because I think she ultimately loses but uh, there's going to be a it's going to be a dog or pass where it's at now but the pick is going to be Kim to win a decision 
The next fight takes place in the women's featherweight division. We have Megan Anderson, who is 8-4, taking on Zara Farim Dos Santos, who is 6-2. The opening betting line for this one was Anderson minus 300, Dos Santos plus, one, plus 220. We are now seeing Anderson minus 600 to Dos Santos plus 450. So massive action coming in on uh, Megan Anderson, this one pushing her implied probability from 75% to around 86%. So people are really trusting Anderson in this one. And even though it's a good matchup for her, it seems like the UFC has given her a little bit of a softball in this matchup after some tough matchups in her most recent fights. I mean, Holly Holm, Katzengano, and Felicia Spencer. Those are three tough matchups, three of the really the toughest women uh, at featherweight in the women's division. But that does not take away from the fact that Anderson is just a very one-dimensional fighter. It seems like her striking is the only thing that she can rely on. She does not have good takedown defense. She's quite bad on the ground. She got outgrappled, taken down, held down by Holly Holm in her fight. And Holm's not really even a wrestler. And then her last fight against Felicia Spencer, she knew she was facing a, a great grappler. She landed a few right hands early. She got taken down. She got her back taken. She got choked out in around two and a half minutes. So, and that she that was a fight where she was a minus three hundred underdog in. So people love betting Anderson. You know she's a, a pretty girl with cool tattoos and she's a fan favorite. So I really think that that's why a lot of action comes in on her. There's no reason why she should be minus six hundred in this matchup. And Dos Santos does not look. Uh, very well rounded either she she has she's a tall and long fighter she's got real long arms throws some straight punches with some decent technique she um doesn't look too skilled in the clinch she doesn't have the great defense um she doesn't throw with too much power so i don't it's going to be hard for dos santos to win but it's it's not impossible it's possible that we see a, a pretty even striking match in this one and the rounds will probably go to anderson but in my opinion, if Anderson doesn't get that knockout in the first round and then you have any type of bet on Anderson, you're going to be sweating it in the rounds two and three because I think she could potentially chase that knockout early, not knock Dos Santos out, and then gas out in the later rounds. Uh, you know, if you watch her fight with Charlemagne Tweet, Tweet is super hittable. She is an, uh, was an older fighter at the end of her career. She was eating bombs from Anderson, huge right hands, and it still took her about... 15 20 hard punches for uh the damage to really start accumulating and eventually anderson got the tko in this one but you know i think anderson's power is really overrated if you watch that fight she should have knocked tweet out in the first few punches they landed clean there was no defense being put up from tweet she should have knocked her out easily but it took a while for the knockout to come so i think anderson's power is a bit overrated I still think she is the better striker and fighter of the two in this matchup, but I'm going to go ahead and say that there's pretty big value on Dos Santos at over 4-1. to one. This is just a much closer fight than the odds indicate. We could see Anderson go out there and uh, get a finish early like she was finishing girls in Invicta and may you know look real good in front of the, the home crowd and it could look like that but i i really don't think that she goes out there and looks like a minus 600 favorite uh, very often so i think anderson ultimately wins she probably gets that first or second round knockout but there's going to be some value on dos santos's money line where it's at and i think that dos santos will be a great live bet after round one if she's still standing so uh, the pick is going to be anderson to get it done by second round tko but not a confident pick 
The next fight is in the lightweight division. We have Brad Riddell, who is 6-1, taking on Jamie Malarkey, who is 12-2. The opening betting line for this one was Riddell, the favorite, at minus 135. Mularaki at minus 105. Right now we are seeing Riddell minus 160, Mularaki plus 140. So when I saw these guys' records initially, seeing that they're both from Australia, I thought that the UFC was just um, bringing in some local guys to fill up slots on the card. And But I was pleasantly surprised because both of these guys are pretty well-rounded and I'd say that they deserve to be in the UFC. And I'm really looking forward to this matchup. I think it's a close one. Uh, Riddell comes from a uh, kickboxing background, pretty high level as well. Has fought some really good kickboxers. Uh, he's got a real good left hook. It's definitely his best punch. Um, he was able to stuff the takedowns of Murdoch in round one. He actually ended up on top of a scramble, but he didn't have any interest in staying on top. He just led his opponent back to the feet and was then was able to finish uh, his opponent with uh, punches and knees to the body. Not much footage of Riddell online. That kind of worries me, but he trains at a good gym in Tiger Muay Thai. Uh, he has been making some technique videos on YouTube showing that he's working on his wrestling, showing that he's working with some pretty high-level coaches. Uh, he was able to uh, stuff the takedowns, get back to the feet versus uh, Song Kanon, and was able to knock him out with a, a punch to the body. Uh, so Song Kanong is a pretty uh, decent UFC welterweight at this point, and uh, that that win over uh, Song looks pretty good on Riddell's record. So the one the one blemish on Riddell's record is uh, an opponent named Bright was able to pull guard on him and tap him pretty instantly with an armbar from his back. So that was uh, not not a good look on his record. Uh, but as long as Riddell is able to avoid the grappling and the submissions in this fight, I think that he has a pretty good shot at winning. Now, getting over to Mularkey, he is uh, pretty heavy in, in his stance. He, he stands uh, with his feet planted to the ground a little bit instead of moving uh, with a lot of uh, lateral movement, which I think is going to be a problem because I think he's going to be open for leg kicks. He puts a lot of weight on that, that lead leg, and I think that he could be uh, in trouble if Riddell starts attacking that lead leg. And on the feet, I, I think Malarkey has pretty decent boxing, but I just don't think it'll be quite good enough or fast enough to deal with Riddell. I think Malarkey's best bet is at taking uh, Riddell down, trying to stay on top, trying to tie Riddell out, maybe get a TKO or a submission victory at some point here. So Malarkey definitely has the ability to do that. He's, he's shown some decent takedowns. He's been able to stay on top. He's landed good ground and pound, um, but... I just think that Riddell's takedown defense is going to be good enough. You know, working with uh, his his coaches over at, at Tiger Muay Thai, Frank Hickman is a really good wrestling coach. Uh, I think that that's going to be good enough to, for him to stuff the takedowns of Malarkey, keep his fight standing where he should outstrike Malarkey with that kickboxing uh, background he comes from. He has the speed advantage. I think he throws a little more power too. And I see uh, that lead leg uh, being get of Malarkey getting chewed up by leg kicks, and then eventually that left hook probably landing on. Uh, get the knockout on malarkey so the pick is going to be riddell to get it down by knockout the next fight takes place in the welterweight division we have callan potter who is 17 and 8 taking on maki patolo who is 12 and 4 the opening betting line for this one was patolo the minus 195 favorite to potter plus 155 right now we are seeing patolo minus 352 potter plus 290 
A lot of action coming in on Maki Patolo in this one. His implied probability opened up around 65%. Right now it stands around 78%. So big jump in the way of Patolo. And it's justified completely. Uh, I bet Callum Potter in his last fight. And I am ashamed to say that I did. I mean, he looked like a complete bum out there. He had some decent submission victories on his record going in there. And he was taken on... Uh, I forget the guy's name. Um... Just Jalen Turner, and I thought that he was going to take Turner down and get the submission, bet him 2-1, to one, and he just went out there desperately looked for a submission, had went for a stupid Oma Plata, and then just got knocked out easily. He had no striking defense on the feet. He looked super stiff. He didn't have much offent, uh, effective offense, and I just think that he does not deserve to be in the UFC at all. They're giving him one more fight because he is Australian, but they're giving him uh, that fight against a really tough matchup in Maki Patolo. Was super impressed with Maki Patolo on the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series. He is a welterweight, but he took a, a short notice fight at 185. So you should have seen the size difference between him and his opponent. He was outsized by maybe four to six inches, but he knocked he knocked him out in the first round. I mean, he he pressured him. He landed some good body shots. He throws heavy hands, digs to the body a lot, and then was able to finish uh, his opponent with uh, the body shots. Uh, the guy's name Justin Sumter. Uh, yeah, it only took him about 100 seconds to, to get Sumter out of there. So super impressive victory from Patolo in that one. Patolo's also got a pretty good grappling game. He had a, a close uh, grappling fight with Dakota Cochran. He had his back at multiple points in that fight, was not able to get the submission, and eventually got reversed and tapped with the guillotine himself. So that's the way that Callum Potter wins this fight, if he does at all. It would be by way of submission. I expect Potter to go out there to desperately look for takedowns and get the fight to the floor. Uh, I don't think he will successfully do so. If he does, Patolo should be able to escape, get back up, and I think Patolo will get the first round knockout in this fight. Uh, I think Patolo in round one is like is uh, minus 150 right now, so it's extremely likely that Patolo gets that first round knockout, but Potter just has no defense and Patolo hits super hard. I think that Potter's in for uh, a rough night in the office, uh, getting knocked out in the first round. I, I think he might get knocked out in the first minute, honestly. So uh, should be a quick fight in this one. Uh, Patolo is a must for DraftKings, in my opinion, on, on your lineups this week. And uh, with that being said, we're going to move to the next fight, which takes place in the welterweight division. We have Jake Matthews, who was 14-4, taking on Rustam Akman, who is 6-1. The opening betting line for this one was Matthews, the favorite, minus 265, Akman plus 185. Right now, we are seeing Matthews minus 350, Akman plus 290. So much more action coming in on the favorite, the hometown guy, Jake Matthews in this one. And I'm going to disagree with the line movement in this one, actually. I think where the opening line was set was much more accurate than where it's at now. Uh, I was actually impressed with Akman in his debut. He came in 6-0, and uh, didn't have much high-level experience. There wasn't much tape of his pro fights online. Didn't really know what to expect, but he showed up and he put in a good effort versus Kondosko. He was actually winning a lot of that fight by just pressuring and throwing a lot more volume than Kondosko. He landed a few hard punches, uh, but he did show some defensive liabilities in that fight. He was getting calf kicked a lot by Kondosko. He got dropped with a, a punch in round two, but... 
I was impressed with his ability to get back up to his feet from bottom. He used a, a leg lock sweep to get back to his feet when Kondosko got top position on him. And his takedown defense overall was very good. In round three, he was super hard to take down. Uh, he was hitting his own takedowns. It was a really grinding type of round three. But he got reversed in the last minute, and he got hit with a few hard punches to close the round and probably gave away that, that close round at the end there. But he came in that fight on short notice. He showed good cardio, good takedown defense, some decent technique on the feet. And I was impressed with Akman despite losing that fight. I mean, it was really decided in the last 30 seconds of that fight. It could have been a, it could have been a different decision. So that's not really a bad loss, in my opinion, for Akman at all. And now getting over to Matthews, uh, doesn't fight that often, fights mostly in Australia. His last fight was against Anthony Rocco Martin. What looked great in round one versus Martin was landing hard punches. I was able to drop Martin at one point, but just slowly gave away that fight. He was way less busy in round two. He started to get outstruck, started to get calf kicked. Round three, his calf was damaged bad. He... Um, Rocco Martin hit him with a one calf kick, forced a terrible shot out of Matthews, and Matthews kind of just shelled up on the ground. And when you shell up on the ground versus Rocco Martin, he's going to snatch your neck, and he eventually was able to tap him with a, a Darce or an Anaconda. I think it was an Anaconda choke, um, but terrible performance from Matthews in that one. Just had the win in the bag and, and threw it away. He just... I think he's got fight IQ problems for sure, and I I saw this brought up before the last fight, and I might have mentioned it in the last podcast, and thinking it was a little maybe too personal, but it ended up being very accurate. I just don't think this guy has what it takes to, to be a high-level fighter uh, when his, he's coached by his dad, you know, and after rounds one and two of his fighting in the corner, he goes, how you doing, son? How you feeling? How You, you feel all right? Your cardio good? Uh, and even the commentator said something on it, like, you, you got to trust your fighter, you you got to tell him what to do. You can't be asking him these questions like babying him in your corner. And I think that Matthews lacks that fight IQ because he just doesn't have that killer instinct or that tenacity uh, to really be a high-level fighter. So that's why I would not bet him at over 3-1. to one. That's why I think there's a lot of value on Rostam Akman. I think Matthews... Overall, his technique isn't bad. He's got decent wrestling, but his striking technique is a little... It's a little sketchy he, he kind of wings punches a little bit he comes out real aggressive throws hard punches but not much technique he, he throws hard i mean he dropped lee jang lang like three times when they fought and he drops a lot of his opponents but it's kind of just from standing and banging and it's really uh, not a good strategy because i think uh, akman uh, despite getting dropped by kondosko can take a pretty good punch uh, and I think that if Akman is still standing after round one and he does not get dominated in round one, I think Akman would be a great live bet because Matthews tends to fade, fade in those later rounds. He tends to wilt and give up to pressure a little bit. And I think Akman can have some real success in these later rounds. So uh, I'm not confident in Matthews at all, honestly. I think I'm actually going to go with picking Rustam Akman to pull off this upset. I mean, he's plus 290 right now. That means his implied probability is around like 27, 28%. But I'm telling you, man, this guy is good. He's uh, he's also the hairiest motherfucker on earth. I will add that. Um, never seen a human being so hairy as Rustam Akman. Not really relevant to the fight, but you never know. Um, so... I think I think we could see Matthews uh, just edge out the decision because he's insanely athletic. I mean, the dude is is super strong, and I think he could beat 
Aquaman just based on his athleticism, uh, if that really makes sense. But I, I think that if Matthews does not get that early finish or does not start winning early, I think he could be in for a long night at the office and he could end up getting upset here by Aquaman. So the pick is going to be Aquaman to win by 29-28 decision. The next fight takes place on the main card in the heavyweight division, we have Jorgen De Castro, who is 5-0, taken on Justin Taffa, who is 3-0. The opening line for this fight was De Castro minus 170, Taffa plus 130. Right now, we are seeing Taffa minus 135, De Castro plus 115. So the line has flipped, actually. Pretty surprising line movement in this one. You heard it in the records, 5-0 versus 3-0. Both of these guys are super inexperienced, and I honestly think that there's a 90% chance they knock each other out in the first round. I don't think this fight will go longer than three minutes. Both of them like to stand and trade and throw bombs, especially Tafa. Tafa is coming out there to straight throw hammers, try to knock you out with big loopy punches. He did actually go for a few takedowns in, in some of his fights uh, that I watched. Uh, the one fight in particular that he got a TKO finish from top in round two versus Tina Laga, uh, that fight actually went eight minutes, and he, he has picked up a few victories in the second round, which is which is good for Tafa to show that he can go more than the five minutes. But I just think with the way these two match up, they're going to they're gonna stand and trade uh, until one of, the, one of them gets knocked out. Uh, and Tafa has wrestled a little bit in his fights, uh, like I mentioned in the last one. But DeCastro showed great takedown defense versus Alton Meeks. He was throwing hard calf kicks, and he eventually was able to knock Meeks out, drop him with a, a leg kick, and finish him off with some ground and pound. So I was super impressed with Castro in that, that debut over Meeks. He was a plus 600 underdog, and he went out there and looked like the favorite. So super impressive victory from DeCastro in that one. Um, but... When it comes down to it, this this should just be a, a straight cracker of a fight. They're going to come out there. They're going to trade punches. One man will probably uh, end up hitting the canvas pretty early on. And I think that that man will end up being uh, Justin Taffa when it all comes down to it. Now, I might have I been lying a little bit when I said it, it doesn't go past three minutes or the first round because ultimately I see Taffa coming out trying to land that early knockout on Castro I think Castro is going to cover up he's going to uh, play defense he's going to let Tafa tire himself out and then Castro is going to be looking to land those hard leg kicks land hard punches himself and eventually get the knockout on on Tafa so not a confident pick because it's low level heavyweights they're likely going to exchange punches until one guy gets knocked out and it realistically it's a 50 50 fight so if you're able to get plus money on either guy in this one I think it's a good bet I think if you got down that Tafa plus 130 action that's a good bet I think betting on Castro right now plus 115 that's a good bet the only thing Tafa's really got going for him is that he is the hometown fighter. He might train with a little better of a camp. I think he trains with uh, Toyovasa and those guys. Um, he looks just like him. He's got the same tattoos, the same build and everything. So I'm just assuming he trains with him. But should be a crazy fun fight. They're going to trade punches until one man falls. I think that man who falls will be Tafa. And I'm going to go with Castro to get the first round knockout in this one. The next fight takes place in the welterweight division. We have Luke Jamo, who is 13-4, taking on Diego Lima, who is 14-7. The opening betting line for this one was Lima, the favorite, at minus 230, Jamo, the plus 170 underdog. 
Right now we are seeing Lima minus 145, Jumeau plus 125. A little surprised by the action in this one. I thought that Diego Lima's opening price was much more accurate than where he sits at now. I'm kind of confused by that action coming in on Jumeau because Jumeau is the the Aussie guy in this one. He's got that hometown advantage. But he has not fought for 20 months, and that last fight was a victory over Daiichi Abe, no longer in the UFC, proved to not really be a UFC-caliber opponent. The fight before that, he, he was dominated by Shinzo Anzai, who is a guy, a veteran at the end of his career, just a super bad loss on his record with when you see what kind of fighter Anzai is. I mean, if you watch Jake Matthews' fight, he absolutely slices through Anzai. And Jumeau really struggled with him. He was getting outstriked by him, taken down. He actually got hurt with some punches uh, versus Anzai. So I think that Jumeau's striking is pretty bad. He tries to counterpunch a lot, but he just doesn't have the power or the output to win rounds. His defense is not good. He gets busted up really easily. He's usually bleeding in most of his fights. His takedown defense isn't very good. His takedown, his get-ups aren't very good. I mean, this guy is really underwhelming from all aspects of MMA. I uh, I don't see why anyone would be playing Jamo at this price. I don't think there's any value. I mean, you're we're talking about uh, he's facing a guy in Lima who is a little unreliable as well, but he he's looked good in his past few fights. He uh, he came back from the Ultimate Fighter and lost the decision to Yushin Okami. He just got taken down over and over in that fight. And I expect Jumo to, to be looking to uh, do that in this fight because on the feet, I think Lima should have a big advantage. Uh, he's he's a better counter puncher. Lima's got a wicked left hook that he throws with a lot of power. Just knocked out Laprise with it. Was hurting Corton McGee with it. And... Lima was winning 14 minutes and 50 seconds of that fight versus Court McGee. The last 10 seconds decided to stand and trade punches, and he did get dropped at the end of that fight, but he was winning uh, 99% of that fight before that little slip-up. So I still think Lima is, is the better fighter. I think you can trust him at minus 145. I think he's uh, a good bet at his price currently. I think he's able to stuff those takedowns of Jamo, and I think he's able to... Uh, outstrike Jamo on the feet pretty handedly. Uh, Lima's been getting that good UFC experience while Jamo, uh, he's been facing some injuries, hasn't been active, doesn't really train at a good gym, doesn't really strike me as the guy to come in here and uh, make big improvements. So I think that this is a good fight for Lima. I think he eventually finds a home for that left hook over and over again and gets that second round knockout in this one. So Lima by second round knockouts the pick. The next fight takes place in the heavyweight division. We have Tai Tsuyavasa, who is 10-2, taking on Sergei Spivak, who is 9-1. The opening betting line for this one was Tsuyavasa, the favorite, at minus 265 to Spivak, plus 185. Right now, we are seeing Tsuyavasa, minus 400 to Spivak at plus 325. Another fight where I'm surprised at where the line has gone. I agree with Tuivasa being the favorite. The most I would cap him at as is minus 300 because he just isn't trustable at over minus 300. I don't care who he's facing. He has a very limited skill set. He doesn't have great cardio. He doesn't have great output. He doesn't have great defense. He doesn't have great takedown defense. He doesn't. He has very bad jujitsu. I mean, there's not really much to like about Tuivasa besides his personality and the fact that he throws 
hard punches. I mean, he I wouldn't even say he has good boxing because that's not really his style. He doesn't have good fundamentals. He just throws hands. I mean, that's really his style. Uh, you saw when he got taken down, uh, by, or he actually got dropped by Junior Dos Santos, and he got mounted. He had absolutely no idea how to escape mount. He really struggles with grappling. He got outboxed by Ivanov in that fight. He got hurt by, and dropped a little bit in that fight in round one. Uh, he came back round two, uh, you know, looked a little bit better, landed a, a hard punch that rocked Ivanov, but still lost the round on value. And he was just gassed out in round three, spent a lot of time resting in the clinch, and just got outworked for all three rounds in that fight versus Ivanov. I mean, he got outvolumed by a guy in Ivanov who is notorious for being a low volume heavyweight striker. And Tuivasa had a pretty uh, even fight with Andre Arlovsky, another low output striking match. and. I just think that if this fight goes out of the first round and Tuivasa does not get that knockout, I think that not only will the bets, you will be sweating the bets. I, I think he honestly loses the fight if it goes out of the first round. We, I mean, we haven't seen really much from Spivak. We saw him fight a lot of low-level competition uh, in the regionals with a lot of old journeymen guys who were at the end of their career, and he didn't even look that good beating them up, honestly. But he's shown some decent striking. He can throw uh, he can throw uh, kicks and knees and elbows and punches well. He can hit takedowns. He's got some submission game as well. So overall, I think Spivak is the better well-rounded fighter, and I think that he's gotten a little bit disrespected here because his UFC debut was pretty atrocious. He fought Walt Harris. He shelled up early. He just got completely dominated, knocked out in 40 seconds, just covered up, and just got uh, completely obliterated with a punch combination by Harris, but I think Harris is actually really underrated. He's one of the top 10 uh, heavyweights in the UFC by far and I think that he would probably fuck up Tai Tuivasa if they fought too so that that loss doesn't really mean that much to me I mean it, it wasn't a good sign it, it's preventing me from going too heavy on Spivak but I still think from what we've seen at these odds there's pretty good value on Sergey Spivak I think there's a lot of guys in this card that I or that I've mentioned where the fights that are super high uh I mentioned it with the uh, the Dos Santos fight. I mentioned it with Akman, and now I'm mentioning it with Spivak. These fighters that are over three to one or something like that. I think there's good value in all of them. I think we're seeing some really inflated lines for this card. You're seeing the Australian people being bet like crazy, and they do have easier matchups. Like they like Anderson and Matthews and, and uh, two of us do have easier matchups in this one, but. When they get in the cage, it doesn't matter what kind of matchup that they have because anything could happen and they could still lose these fights even though that they're uh, implied probabilities at 80%. So I would not be laying chalk on Tuivasa. I would not be using him in parlays. I would not even really be trusting him in DraftKings that much. I think that Sergey Spivak has a decent chance at winning this fight. I'm, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to go with picking Sergey Spivak to pull off the plus 325 underdog upset. I think that he just has more ways to win the fight. I think that if he chases the takedowns in this one and and tries to put Tuivas on his back and tap him out I, I think that would be a great idea I think that he has a good chance at finishing the fight that way I think he has a good chance at uh, lasting to a decision and maybe being competitive in the volume with Tuivasa and winning a close decision. I think he has the possibility at uh, landing some hard punches in rounds two and three after Tuivasa uh, is gassed out from trying to knock Spivak out in round one, and then Spivak, the one, is knocking him out in rounds two and three. I just think that uh, 
if Tuivasa doesn't get the knockout in the first seven minutes, he's losing the fight. I think that his cardio will drop off bad, and I really don't have anything to prove that Spivak's cardio is good too. I mean, there's there's really no evidence that he has good cardio or that he can have that high output in rounds two and three. I'm kind of just um, getting a feel for this one. I think that Spivak uh, is a live dog in this one. I'm going to pick him to pull off the upset. I'm going to go with a first-round submission for Sergey Spivak in this one. That The odds of that got to be like, plus a thousand but i'm gonna pick it anyway the next fight is the co-main event of the evening in the lightweight division we have al iaquinta who is 14 5 and 1 taking on dan hooker who is 18 and 8 the opening betting line for this one was iaquinta minus 130 hooker minus 110 right now we are seeing Hooker minus 165 to Quinta at plus 145. So way more action coming in on Dan Hooker in this one. And I think that that action is spot on. I think this is a great matchup for Hooker. Uh, I think it, he probably gets the knockout in this one. I mean, he's I think he's got eight finishes in his UFC career. Eight wins, eight finishes in his UFC career. Hooker's a finisher. And I think that this matchup uh, is really good for him for a bunch of different reasons. So... Iaquinta coming off of that loss of versus Cowboy in his last fight. He went the full five rounds. He had some early success with the boxing. Uh, probably lost round one, definitely won round two. But then round three, he started to get outstruck, outvolumed. Round four, he started to get hurt bad. Round five, he was completely out of it and dominated and somehow lasted to the decision but he took a lot of damage in that fight and he was uh, clearly outstruck by Donald Cerrone really struggled with the diverse offense of Cerrone when Cerrone started mixing in those kicks and those knees and the clinch he, he Iaquinta was a little bit lost because Iaquinta has good boxing. He has a good wrestling base. He has decent takedown defense, submission uh, defense, has good ability to hit offensive takedowns but in the kicking game, I think he struggles. I think he struggles with longer, rangier guys. Uh, and I think that that's exactly what Dan Hooker is. He's a super long, uh, six-foot lightweight. He fights super long. He use, utilizes his reach to a, the full advantage. And I think that we've really seen Hooker come into his own in the past few fights. I mean, he's knocked out some, some pretty good fighters. He knocked out Pearson. He knocked out... Jim Miller, he knocked out Gilbert Burns, and he knocked out James Vick, and that's all within the past maybe a year or two. So those are four solid wins. I mean, Pearson is a little little shaky because he's uh, an, an older veteran, no longer in the UFC. But those, are, I mean, Miller, Burns, and Vick, those are three solid wins. He he dropped that decision or he dropped that knockout loss to uh, Barbosa in between there. Sometimes he struggled with the kicks of Barbosa as well. Uh, he was. Didn't really pressure enough in that fight as he should have. Got picked apart at range with the kicks and was eventually finished with the, the kicks to the body in that one. Just a brutal performance. Both of these guys have taken some damage in their last fights. But the difference being Hooker has come back since he took that massive amount of damage versus Barboza. And he dismantled James Vick in the first round, knocking him out. Picking up that great read, faking that right hook, and then landing that left hook to knock him out. 
The one thing about Hooker is he has power in both hands. He dropped Gilbert Burns with the right hand, and then he finished him off with the left hand. So he's got massive power in his hands. He has super good long knees. I mean, he knocked uh, Miller and Pearson out with those long knees. He has a good uh, reactive guillotine he can use to stuff takedowns. He actually tapped a few people with it, like Mark Casey. He used it effectively versus Gilbert Burns to stuff the takedown to get back up to his feet. So... I think the Iquins is just in for a tough night, honestly. If this fight stays in the feet, in the boxing aspect of things, it could be a little competitive. But when Hooker starts mixing in his movement, his knees, his kicks, I think that he will start to outstrike Iquinta. Iquinta's best pet to victory would be to, to try to mix in the takedown somehow, to try to get inside on Hooker. Because if he stays at the range of Hooker, uh, where he can use that uh, that reach advantage and use those long knees and straight punches, then Iquinta's probably going to get boxed up and likely even knocked out i mean hooker's a finisher he chases the finish he throws hard strikes with all eight limbs and i think that he has a great chance at finishing iquinta even though iquinta is super durable and if iquinta is able to possibly hit offensive takedowns put hooker on his back if he's able to make this a a grinding type of fight where it's inside where it's in the clinch and it's uh where hooker doesn't have that range to strike he could potentially steal a decision in this one but i really don't give it a good chance at happening i think that this one ends inside the distance which is at plus 155 right now and i think hooker gets the knockout in this one which is plus 255 right now so uh, i think hooker eventually gets the knockout probably in the later rounds rounds two and three when the damage starts to accumulate because i don't think you're going to knock i quinta out with one punch it's going to be a an accumulated damage type of finish uh, Hooker is likely going to be bloodied, and, or Iquint is likely going to be bloodied and uh, beat pretty badly, and the referee will probably stop in and, and save him. I'm going to go with Hooker getting the second round TKO victory in this one. And in the main event of the evening for the unifying UFC middleweight championship fight, we got the champion Robert Whitaker, who is 24, taking on the interim champion Israel Adesanya, who is undefeated at 17 and 0. The opening betting line for this one was Israel Adesanya, the plus 160 underdog, to Robert Whitaker as the minus 185 favorite. Right now, we are seeing the line flip. Israel Adesanya minus 115 to Robert Whitaker at minus 105, a near pick'em fight as it rightfully should be. So whoever set that opening line of Adesanya plus 160 was drunk as a skunk. Uh, there might have been some some intent behind it to put uh, Izzy as as that plus money. Uh, I really don't know what the motivation behind it was, but the the line was certainly wrong. Where the line sits at now is really accurate, honestly. It's a 50-50 type of fight. It's If you have a confident lean in this one, I, I would say it's still a 55-45 type of fight. I mean, these guys are totally evenly matched. They're elite-level fighters. Um, they're both two of the best middleweights in the world no question and it's going to be an absolute pleasure to see these two uh banging out on saturday night it's going to be an epic fight i honestly think eventually it's a 48 47 decision for either guy i think it i mean i could be basing this off of their last few fights because both of their um both of their most recent fights were five round slobber knockers where they hurt their opponents and their opponents hurt them and they were 2-2 heading into the fifth or something like that and they were close rounds and they both squeaked out the decisions 
Whitaker really squeaked his out. That was a really close fight. Probably could have been a draw or even gone to uh, Romero. Meanwhile, Adesanya hit the judges scored that fight absolutely perfectly. 48-46, all three cards. It was 2-2 heading into the fifth. Israel Adesanya dug deep and got that fifth round 10-8. Uh, let, let, we'll start talking about Adesanya first just to go over a little full profile of him. So he's actually been probably one of the most talked about fighters on the Martian MMA podcast and that's because he's been so active six fights in the past uh, 20 months made his UFC debut back at UFC 221 uh, just in February of 2018 and he's already moved his way up from beating Wilkinson to Vittori to Tavares to Brunson to Silva to Gastelum I mean he's beaten better and better and better fighters each time and that really he really had a showcase performance I think in his last fight versus Kelvin Gastelum because even though he got dropped in round one briefly in that fight and he got hurt with a head kick in round four that fight showed what Israel Adesanya was made of that fight was an absolute dog fight I'm telling you it it had a different feel than any other fight that I've ever seen and it, it felt like the two of them were fighting to the death you know with the way it ended with Adesanya pouring on the damage and just absolutely dominating Kelvin Gastelum in that last minute or two of that fight he was it literally looked like he was killing Gastelum at, at at round five of that fight I mean I think the referee uh, could have stopped it a lot earlier, but he realized that it was a close fight. He realized that uh, maybe Kelvin could have had a chance at winning the decision, maybe, and he let Kelvin be a warrior. Uh, well, Kelvin, Kelvin wasn't completely covering up hopelessly. I mean, he was constantly moving and trying to get, survive, but it was an absolute thrashing at the end of that fight. Uh, could have easily been stopped, um, but Adesanya just showed what he was made of. He showed that good cardio. He lost round round four. He came back and won round five in a dominant fashion when he needed to. So it was just an incredible, incredible performance from Adesanya. Fight of the year, no doubt, uh, between him and Gastelum. And now talking about Whitaker's last fight, uh, fight of the year in 2018, no doubt. Uh, that back and forth war with uh, Yoel Romero, the, the rematch with Yoel Romero, the first fight, uh, it was kind of an opposite. I think the first fight, Romero came out early, out-voluming Whitaker in rounds one and two, and then Whitaker out-volumed him rounds three, four, and five, won that decision. This time, it was reversed. Whitaker came out, out-volumed Romero in rounds one and two. Round three, uh, Romero hurt Whitaker. Whitaker came back and was hurting uh, Yoel back. I think Yoel still won the round, but... Whitaker did the most amount of damage a fighter has ever done in that round and still lost the round. So it was an extremely close round. They were beating the absolute piss out of each other in round three. Round four was another, uh, it was a probably a Whitaker round. Romero had some good moments in it, but Whitaker ultimately, I think, landed the better volume and won more of that round. I, I don't think the, the little... Um, knockdown or the the uh, Whitaker getting rocked at the end of round four stole the round for Romero so that puts it up three rounds to one headed into the fifth and then Romero had a pretty dominant fifth round he was able to hurt Whitaker pretty badly uh, could have been a 10-8 I personally scored it a 10-9 and gave the fight 48-47 to Whitaker but I can easily see you giving that fight uh, a draw 48 or 47-47 for either fighter so both fights were extremely close between these two guys last uh, in their last matchups and uh, we'll, we'll get over to now thinking uh, to start predicting how this fight will go down um, 
one thing I will say is is if you look at the Brunson fight between both of these guys, both of these guys have fought Derek Brunson. Both of them knocked him out in the first round, but they were a much different type of fight. Israel Adesanya had the better footwork. He was able to control that fight a little more. He was in control for majority of the fight. He was stuffing takedowns. He was using his footwork. He was outstriking Brunson at range. He was keeping it at his range, and he was punishing Brunson. Meanwhile, Brunson was able to get a little bit inside on Whitaker. He was able to hit him with some punches. He was able to get in on some takedowns. And it was a much sloppier kind of back-and-forth brawl type of fight. While Israel's was a calculated performance where he just dismantled Brunson. So I think that fight really shows the difference between their striking. Uh, and Whitaker is super tough. He is hard to take down. He's he's hard to get uh, to, to hurt. But... He just finds a home for that punch when, when it's necessary. And that's what he did versus Brunson. Even though he was getting overwhelmed and swarmed by Brunson, he just found that home for the punch and was able to finish him with that, that head kick later on in round one. Um, meanwhile, Israel was just in control the entire time. He was finding the strikes to land. He eventually landed that knee that hurt uh, it, Brunson. And then just with precision accuracy, he was able to finish Brunson with punches, knees, elbows. It was just a miraculous finish. Um, but now getting down to comparing the two of these two, I think I would give the power edge to Whitaker. I think he hits with a little more power punch for punch, but the speed edge goes to Israel and the technique edge goes to Israel. So even though Israel doesn't have that one punch knockout power per se, he's so accurate and he's so precise with his striking that he does damage and he knocks people down. He's got, I think, eight knockdowns in the UFC. So... There is one kind of lingering question around this matchup, and that would be Whitaker's activity and his health. His last fight was in June of 2018. He broke his hand in that fight versus Romero, and he took some time off after that fight. He was supposed to fight Kelvin Gastelum, went through the whole training camp, and the day of the fight, he discovered he had a hernia. The fight was canceled, and he had surgery on that hernia, and now he's coming back around uh, 18 months later for his first fight in that amount of time and he's coming back versus Israel Adesanya who's been super active during that amount of time so I think that that that's kind of being factored into the betting line here I think that the reason why these odds are so close between you know the reigning champion is actually the underdog technically in this fight it's because there are those questions around Whitaker's health and around his uh, activity and how fresh he's going to be in this fight but Personally, I don't think it's going to be a factor. I think that Whitaker is going to come in here in great shape and he's going to be completely capable of going the full five rounds at a high output and he's going to be capable of winning this fight for sure. Now, Whitaker has the better overall wrestling game of the two. He has elite level takedown defense, some of the best takedown defense in MMA history, and he can hit his own offensive takedowns from time to time if needed, but... Israel Adesanya has also shown very good takedown defense in his tenure. His takedown defense has gotten better and better each fight. He did get taken down a little bit versus Gastelum, but he was able to get back to his feet in that fight. And I just think that it would not be a wise strategy for Whitaker to go for takedowns in this fight because it'll expand a lot of energy. And ultimately, I don't see his top game being good enough to keep Israel down if he gets the takedown. So... We're in for a striking match. That means these two are probably going to strike kickbox for 25 minutes straight or until one man gets the knockout. So I see Whitaker attacking that lead leg of 
Israel Adesanya with that that lead leg side kick. He's really active with that kick. He's going to be throwing a lot of jabs, and he's going to be looking to find homes for those power punches that he likes to rock you with. Um, and he he finds them from weird angles, man. Whitaker's striking style is is extremely weird, and. Kelvin Gastelum's striking style is a little more conventional. He doesn't have a very uh, unpredictable offense. He He's a southpaw. He throws a great left hand. And he was still able to do some damage on Israel Adesanya. He was still able to rock him with that head kick. He was still able to briefly drop him with that left hook. So Whitaker's striking should be diverse enough and it should be powerful enough to hurt Israel if he's able to touch the chin of Israel in a good spot. But... I think Israel's striking is also diverse enough. Is his defense is good enough? He would be able to to pick Whitaker apart if this fight stays on the feet for long periods of time. So it, it's just such a close matchup. I really see one of these guys winning 48-47. I, I really see both of them winning rounds. Both of them having success in different aspects, but ultimately the biggest factor in this fight is the activity. Since Whitaker's last fight, uh, Israel has fought. Four times he fought the five five-minute rounds versus Tavares. He got the first round knockout over Brunson. He fought three five-minute rounds versus Anderson Silva. And then he fought five five-minute rounds versus Kelvin Gastelum. So he just has so much more octagon time recently. He's looked better. He's improving incredible amounts fight to fight. He he really had a showcasing performance in that last fight versus Kelvin Gastelum. And I really lean Israel Adesanya in this fight due to his his the recent work that he's done and I think this fight is like I mentioned it's going to be close it's going to come down to who has the better cardio who has the better output the better style for winning rounds and I think that that's Israel Adesanya I think he's a little more active fighter he has the better cardio in rounds three four and five and I will think that that will ultimately be where this fight is decided in the later rounds and I'm going to rely on Israel Adesanya to have the better output and to, to win those later rounds to win this decision so it is not a confident pick I'm telling you this is one of the hardest fights to predict ever in the history of the Martian MMA podcast in my opinion the last time I was this torn about a pick would, would probably be uh Henry Cejudo versus Marlon Marais and I I was wrong about that one I think I predicted Marais to get the victory in that one and Cejudo went out there and proved me wrong and I think this fight has a little bit of shades of Max Holloway versus Brian Ortega that was a fight where uh Ortega was actually the favorite to, to Holloway as the underdog because there were those questions surrounding Holloway's health and then Holloway went out there and looked like a minus 400 favorite so it anything could happen out there we could see Rob's uh health be a tip-top shape we could see him be extremely accurate and powerful like he was before the injury before the Romero fights and we could see him come out here and dismantle Izzy we see we could see Israel do the same but Ultimately, I think we're in for a very razor-thin decision in this one, and my pick is going to be Israel Adesanya to win the 48-47 decision. So the, the I know the, the analysis for that main event was a little bit scattered. It was a little bit all over the place because the pick is, is an unconfident one. It's kind of up in the air. I was watching fights on fights on fights from both Whitaker and Adesanya, just expecting the conclusion to come to me. Usually, I watch a few fights of the guys, and the, the path to victory is the prediction comes naturally but this fight you have to do some really external thinking you have to think hard and uh, do real good research into this fight to accurately predict it and it's a hard one and I could be dead wrong about my pick with Israel winning the decision 
but at this point in time, that's what I think is the most reliable at this point. So it's going to be a hell of a fucking pay-per-view. I really can't wait for this one to go down. And um, that's going to be all for this podcast. It's been episode 78, previewing the UFC 243 card. Um, not too many bets for this one so far. I think we got one unit on I or one unit on Hooker at minus 110. And really, that's I think that's all so far in terms of the betting window. I think that we will probably add some half unit to Dos Santos, uh, maybe one full unit to Akman. Look to live bet Akman. Might bet DeCastro as an underdog, might bet Lima as a favorite, might uh, throw a value stab on Spivak, and might even end up with some action on Israel Adesanya towards fight night. You can see all my official bets uh, posted on my Twitter account or my page. You can follow me on Twitter at UFO underscore UFC. That is UFO underscore UFC. You check me out on Twitter, and that's going to be all for this podcast, episode 78. Thank you for everybody for tuning in, and hope you enjoy the pay-per-view this weekend.